are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share his love. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put a hand on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, saying, You hypocrites! Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts of the law, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, If one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on a Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say. Great. Thank you, Tara. Well, at our house this week, we started to talk about Christmas gifts. I think probably due to all the white stuff flying around and on the ground. And at the dinner table one night, one of the girls said to their little brother, they said, Lennox, if you could have anything right now, what would it be? And his mom jumped in there and said, let me guess, a Mustang. And Lennox said, no, not a Mustang. And I thought, wow, I mean, he's really maturing and, you know, not just thinking about expensive cars anymore. And I'm waiting for him now to name like a realistic, reasonable gift idea for once. And he says, no, not a Mustang. I'd take a Mercedes. <laughs> so he's just traded up domestic now to foreign luxury cars. But we're asking the question today, if you could ask God for one thing right now, what would it be? And I suspect that many of our answers would go a lot deeper than a luxury car. If you could ask God for one thing right now, I bet you didn't have to think long about that question. And it wouldn't be about a car, but it would be something about life and death, about a relationship, about someone's faith, or about healing. The next message in this series called The Doctor is in, Discipleship in Luke. And today we have these two short stories on healing. Something that certainly would be at the top of many of our lists. Except in neither of these passages does anyone ask for healing. Jesus just shows up and he does it. One of the clear testimonies of the New Testament is that Jesus is our healer. And that's what we're going to focus on today, the topic of healing. This message will be a little bit different than usual in that I'd like to treat the subject of healing a little bit more thematically in Scripture. So yes, we're going to look at these two short stories, 
But then I'd like to ask the bigger question about healing in the Gospels, healing in Acts in the early church, and then we'll get to healing in the church today. And once we get to that last area, I feel like we'll have this kind of New Testament framework established where we can ask ourselves some very pertinent and pointed questions. Does healing still happen today? How should I approach healing and prayer? How should I make sense or understand when healing doesn't happen? And lastly, what should I do in the in-between when I'm praying and waiting for healing? And I find the timing of this particular message is so striking. You know, we select these series and message texts months in advance. And now here we are on a random Saturday in October. And in the last three weeks, we have had three people from the congregation diagnosed with cancer. Three people in three weeks. And that is happening, of course, in the middle of a pandemic. I just had this sense this week... I think God has something to say to us about this right now. And as we talk about something that's close to the heart, I want you to know that I do that with utmost caution. We don't have all the answers on healing. I certainly don't. But what we do have in Scripture is plentiful and sufficient in the way of discipleship. God has given us everything that we need to know to live a life of faith with him. And for the areas where we don't exactly know and we try to piece it together, I'm just going to ask for your grace as we do that together today. I'm also keenly aware, as I said, that some of us and beyond the three from this month, some of us are walking right now through a valley of sickness or of chronic illness or of uncertainty. In fact, this week I spoke with two different households asking them questions, listening to their answers And they have graciously allowed me to share some of those things with you today. So we'll come to their stories presently as they've given me permission to do that. But first, and I hope you still have it nearby in front of you, Luke 13. Let's look at this one quick. It was a Sabbath, meaning that it was Saturday. Here we are, a four o'clock Saturday service. And Jesus was at the synagogue, as was his custom. And as we have seen before, he is not there just to attend, but to provide the teaching. And as Jesus was teaching, there is a woman in the congregation who has been sick for 18 years. That is a long time to be sick. Where were you 18 years ago? A bunch of you weren't even born yet. I was still in college 18 years ago. Where were you? Can you imagine counting the years and being sick that long? It says this woman has been crippled by a spirit. So in this case, remember Luke is a doctor. He knows the difference. In this case, at least, we have both a physical condition present and a demonic cause. It says that she was bent over. Literally, it says she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. And scholars go back and forth here about two different diagnoses that might be at play. Ankylosing spondylitis, which is a fusion of the spinal bones, or the other position they argue sometimes is a muscular paralysis but whatever it was this woman has been bound by this condition for 18 years and now on a random Saturday all of that is about to change verse 12 one of my favorite lines in this story starts like this when Jesus saw her I underline that in my Bible Jesus saw this woman 
who everyone else for probably 18 years has overlooked. She was bent in a shameful position. She was demonized. She is not someone that anybody would have invited over for dinner. She was socially invisible for 18 years until that Sabbath with Jesus. And it says, when he saw her, he called her forward. And I just imagine a hush fell over church that day as she shuffled to the front. And when she is up front with Jesus, he says to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. And then he, a Jewish man, puts his hands on this crippled, bent woman. And it says immediately she straightened up For the first time in 18 years, she's standing upright and praising God. And I'm just trying to imagine this week, reading the story, what that would have sounded like, that she is praising God. The whole place would have gasped at this miracle. And then to hear her voice praising him, I think the place just erupted with cheers, except for the religious leaders. The synagogue leader pushes his way to the front, indignant, it says, because Jesus has dared to heal on the Sabbath. I want to be clear that this command does not come from Scripture, this teaching about not healing on the Sabbath. The commandment not to work on the Sabbath is from the Bible. It's in the Ten Commandments. But then the religious leaders over time had stacked up all these rules on top of the commandments. And they'd come up with 39 rules about what you could and could not do on the Sabbath. And healing was on their list. That's why this synagogue leader now stands up and says to the people, notice he does not say it to Jesus, right? But he says to all the people, passive aggressive, Minnesota nice, he says to all the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. Here this debilitated woman has just been miraculously healed after 18 years, and this guy totally misses the point. And Jesus says then to the religious leaders, you hypocrites. On the Sabbath, don't you untie your ox or your donkey and you lead it out for a drink? He's going to argue here from the lesser to the greater. He says in verse 16, then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? What he's saying is, I think of this sometimes when I'm at the grocery store and you see the, uh, the refrigerated pet food section there. What he's saying is, how dare you take better care of animals than you would a daughter of God? And of all the days for her to be set free, it's like Jesus is saying, the Sabbath would be the greatest one to celebrate. Luke 14, let's go to the next story. It's a Sabbath again. But this time Jesus is at the house of a Pharisee, a religious leader, as a dinner guest. And it says, I put it in red here, he was being carefully watched. Which means the whole scene is likely a setup. We don't know that for sure, but this seems to indicate it. That the Pharisee didn't actually give a genuine invitation to this sick man to come to his home for dinner. But he's using him to see if they can catch Jesus breaking the Sabbath. The man is described in the text as having an abnormal swelling of the body. They used to call this, and some Bibles would still say this, they used to call it dropsy. 
Now we call it generalized edema, when the limbs and the tissue swell with excess fluid in the body. So edema itself, this condition, is not the disease. It's an indicator of something seriously wrong inside the body, like congestive heart failure or kidney disease. So this man is very sick. And to make matters worse, dropsy was often understood. When people saw it, they saw someone who God was judging due to sinfulness or uncleanness in their life. And so here he is at the dinner table. His very presence threatens the ritual purity of the Sabbath meal. The Pharisees have set the perfect trap for Jesus to walk right in. But watch Jesus call their shot. He says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And look at the next line. I underline this in my Bible. But they remained silent. The sound of silence. And Jesus has heard enough. He takes the man in his arms like an embrace. He heals him and sends him home. And then he says something very similar here to chapter 13. And he asks those around the table. He says, if one of your children or your ox were to fall in the well on the Sabbath, would you not immediately pull it out? Verse 6, deja vu. I underlined it. And they had nothing to say. Their silence said everything. So just two stories here among so many where we see Jesus healing people. And the first thing I'd like to address as we move out into a broader context of healing is how to understand healing in the Gospels. What does it mean that Jesus is healing all these people? We read about it again and again. 22 individual accounts of healing in the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Another three significant ones in the Gospel of John. And then, of course, countless people in the general descriptions of what's happening in Jesus' ministry. What does it mean? For the answer to that question, we're going to stay in Luke. And you can flip back to chapter 4. This is the outset of Jesus' ministry. He's in Nazareth. Do you remember this? Weeks ago, somewhere in September. Jesus is in the synagogue. There to teach. And he reads from the scroll of Isaiah. And here's what he says, quoting from Isaiah, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And the story there in Luke 4, he rolls the scroll back up and he says, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And the rest of Luke, much of what we've been seeing, is Jesus fulfilling this promise from Isaiah. To the woman in Luke 13, he says, you are set free from your infirmity. To the man in Luke 14, he is proclaiming good news to the poor and showing him the Lord's favor. Healing in the life of Jesus is a sign that God is here. It is that simple. It's a sign that God's kingdom is being established through his promised Messiah. Remember in Luke 5, we have this example where it shows physical evidence of a spiritual reality. And in that story, we have this line. Jesus says, But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your mat, and go home. Physical evidence of a spiritual reality. God is here. 
So big picture, when we think of all of the Bible, sickness enters the story in the Garden of Eden in Genesis. The rest of the Old Testament is saying to us that God is going to send a Savior, one who will fix it and heal and mend. And then Jesus is that Savior who arrives and healing is one of the signs. Peter at Pentecost says Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him. And speaking of Peter, we see then Jesus send out his disciples with that same mission and mandate to carry out his ministry and extend the kingdom. We're going to stay in Luke and remind ourselves of what we saw in chapter 9. When Jesus had called the twelve together, He gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. You remember this? We've been studying Luke a chapter later. We were in chapter 10. And there we have Jesus sending out the 72. Same thing. Jesus says to them, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. Jesus is bringing the kingdom, and God is present. This narrative takes us into Acts in the early church. And the apostles continue to fulfill the Great Commission. They're preaching the good news of Jesus, and it is accompanied by healing and miraculous signs. Boy, if we had a long time, we could look at some of these stories in Acts, but we're going to skip it. But let me just mention Acts 3. Remember, Luke is also writing the book of Acts. And he says, Peter and John heal a man there, At the gate to the temple, a man who'd been lame his whole life, and he's begging for money. And Peter says to him, I can remember this song somewhere from Sunday school, silver and gold, I have none, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And read that story in Acts chapter 3 later, because it's so relevant to our story today. But I want to take us to a description in Acts 5. If I can show you one thing in Acts 5. In the book of Acts, it's from chapter 5. This is the place of healing in this part of God's redemptive story. Here's what it says. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. More and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. And this is so characteristic of Acts, as the gospel spreads and the church is established. Now interestingly, once we get into the New Testament letters, we don't see healing as prominent as it was in Acts or the gospels. Those of you who've been reading the Bible for some years, have you ever noticed that? Now, I don't want to overinterpret that. The letters, they're a different genre, different writing style than the narrative passages, but it may signal something significant. In any case, healing is certainly still present. James talks about it. Paul mentions it in his list of spiritual gifts. But even Paul knew what it meant to ask for healing and to wait for it. 2 Corinthians 12, he talks about a thorn in the flesh, which many scholars take to mean a physical illness. And healing didn't come. For the Apostle Paul, 
who had healed how many people in the book of Acts? But healing didn't come. What did come was the personal presence and word of Jesus where he said to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And in a red-letter Bible, that's in red. And for Paul, that was enough. As he waited for healing, to know that Jesus was with him. That brings us to the more immediate context of healing in the church today. Many of us have probably seen dramatic healing services on TV or on YouTube that we're not sure exactly what to make of. Frankly, I don't always know what to make of it either. And it's probably, this is my assessment, it's probably a little bit of both. I mean, some of what we see in some instances is probably authentic. And in other instances, it's probably not. We'll let the Lord be the judge of that. But as to the question, does healing still happen today? The answer should be a resounding yes. We don't have any indication in Scripture that healing would have come to a stop or that it was only for a season. No, healing continues to be a sign of the kingdom and of the presence of God and it still happens across the globe today. Now here is, is something interesting that I want to share with you. Some have noted that these miraculous signs of healing seem to happen more often in places where the gospel is first arriving. So on the frontier of global missions, where people are hearing about Jesus for the first time, we hear reports of significantly more healing than we might be accustomed to here at home. I can think of a recent example in Francis Chan, who for many years was the pastor of a church in California. A few years ago, he moved to Asia with his family as a missionary. And I think he's based out of Hong Kong, but traveling into like closed countries and into regions where they have never heard about Jesus. And he says, for instance, that what he saw happening in Myanmar is, and I'm going to quote him, out of my comfort level. I have never experienced this in 52 years. So there's not a Bible verse that spells this out for us, but it certainly seems plausible that healing will happen, especially where the gospel is being shared for the first time. And yet regardless of that, healing is in no way limited to those circumstances, but is available to everyone who calls on the name of Jesus. James 5 Words to us, words to the church. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And I remember when right over here by this cross, we gathered around our friends Scott and Joni and we anointed them with oil in prayer. Some of you know Scott's story. He was an emergency helicopter pilot. For many, many years, flying helicopters all over the place, landing in tight places and getting people to the emergency room. And inexplicably, after many years of flying, Scott didn't pass the standard recertification test. And I remember him telling me about it. He said it was like his body just was not responding to what his mind instinctively knew to do. 
And he didn't know what happened. Two years later, Scott found out why this was happening. He was diagnosed with MSA, a degenerative disease that has no cure. So I asked Scott and Joni about healing and prayer and waiting this week. And I want to share a little bit of that conversation. When I asked about that, Scott said, healing works, I've experienced it. Prayer works, I've experienced it. Waiting on healing? Question mark. That's where he is. You never know how God will use you through the diagnosis or through healing. It's his plan. To which Joni added, one day we will see the purpose and the healing, whether through hindsight or in eternity. We pray for healing without ceasing and we submit to God's will being done. It's a win-win prayer, she said. Scott and Joni also shared about the intense spiritual battle that overwhelms them some days. Scott said, honestly, I am overshadowed at times by Satan's tactics in causing feelings of unworthiness, of being too sinful to be healed. And Joni said, the faith is strong, but the body is weak. Doubts, paranoia, and guilt can rattle the strong in faith. Did I cause this? Why didn't I see this earlier? Am I not a good caregiver that I'm not patient enough with the changes? How do we wait for healing? How do we do this well? It's not easy, but I want to suggest to you a few things to both us as a church and as individuals. First, Scott and Joni are absolutely right. We should pray for healing, even against all odds, unless God shows us otherwise. This is the invitation of all of Scripture. God is our Redeemer and our healer. He loves us and is with us and for us, and we should readily ask him for healing and believe that he will do it. And kids, I mean, whether it's a scraped knee or it is a serious diagnosis, we should actively pray for healing. Going back to James 5, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed, it says. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And I would love to see us grow more fully into this picture that we see here. That the Y Church would be a people of prayer. That we would be a place that prays boldly and expectantly and persistently for healing. We talk about three things here that are like air, food, and water in the life of a believer. And they are prayer, scripture, and worship. And we want to invite you into these three things. That they would permeate your daily life and shape everything about who you are. What would happen, I wonder, collectively, if we would pray more in our second decade than we did in our first What would happen in my own life if I spent more time in prayer than I did on social media? And now you know those fancy apps. You can see how much time you spend on social media. What would happen in my life if I spent more time praying and less time worrying? And I don't ask that in like a legalistic, heavy-handed way. But this is an open invitation. A way to live with more joy 
and more spiritual vitality and more effectiveness in prayer. Now sometimes God shows us that our prayers for healing should take a different direction. And I cannot prescribe to you when that happens along the way. But I have watched and prayed with people who start to see that their healing is not going to come this side of heaven. It's like they start to see the finish line up ahead. I was watching my kids in their last cross-country meet of the season yesterday in the snow. And I've walked alongside people who up ahead, they start to see the finish line that Jesus is calling them home and their prayers start to shift. And when that happens, that is okay, that is good. The Lord will teach us how to pray. But in the meantime, here we are. We're in the in-between. Many of us, I know, in this room, praying for healing in the life of someone that we know, someone we love, or for ourselves. And of all the things that we've talked about today, I hope this much is clear, that we have a God who heals. And so we should ask Him for healing. I got a call this week from Alan. Some of you know Alan from church here. A number of years ago, Alan suffered a major stroke while he was at work. He's in the prime of his life, a husband, a dad, and he had a massive stroke that nearly took his life. Alan's mobility was severely impacted. He had to relearn how to walk. His speech was affected. And some of you know Alan. And we have prayed with him and walked with him and we have seen Alan battle back and he has inspired so many across the Elk River community. Three nights ago, Alan called me And he said, I have bad news, cancer. My heart just sunk. I was standing in the kitchen on the phone and I couldn't believe it. After all that Alan has been through, and he's going to have surgery on Monday. But there was something he said in the middle of that conversation I'll never forget. He said, He can't put a lot of words together, you know, from talking with Alan. He said, stroke, cancer, tough. But God will take care of me. And God will take care of you as you pray for healing and you wait on him for it. You know what Alan asked? Before we hung up the phone, he said to me, Hey, how's Scott and Joni? Let's pray for one another. Our Father in heaven, you declare in your word that you are a God who heals. You are Yahweh Rapha. You heal the brokenhearted, you bind up our wounds. We ask in the name of Jesus that you would bring healing to those of us who are sick or unwell in any way. We ask this simply, humbly, and in full expectation as you have instructed us. Lord, where our faith will falter, we ask for your help. 
where fear will grip us, we ask that you would set us free. But we pray in accordance with your will and in the mighty name of Jesus, our healer. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.